We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast 18-19 season review. You've got myself, Alex Hurst, Rob Clothier, Ben Wade, and Norman Riley to talk through the season that was. Seems like it's uh, flashed say, you know, before our eyes, and uh, we're going to get right into the nitty-gritty. Was it a good season? How did it go? Yeah. Where did it turn? Who played well? Who played not so well? What were the big games? All of that to get our teeth into today. For you listeners, uh, really quickly, we are supported by Fans Bet, the unique gambling company who give half of their net profits back to good fan causes. So if you do like a gamble on the football or any other sport, please check them out. Uh, we're also ably sponsored by our fantastic patrons. Got a few hundred of them who pay about £6.80 a month for about 20 to 30 extra podcasts. We're still continuing to produce content on Patreon throughout the summer. We're sending Norman across to South America to make a documentary on Newcastle's South American players and produce podcasts. We're also quite potentially sending Rob across to China to cover it. So come on, get involved. You know, give her a try on Patreon. We've got loads of content coming up. But without further ado, lads, Newcastle United season 18-19. We've got a bit of a loose, uh, a loose running order to get through today. Um, and I, I think I'll I'll start it off. Um, but I'll tell you what, we'll go to Norman then. Norman, we had a really difficult start to the season. And Cardiff City away was a, a fixture that you wanted to, to highlight in particular. So what did, what did Cardiff away signify to you for Newcastle's start of the 18-19 season? Well, Alex, um, to be honest with you, I actually wanted to highlight Cardiff at home. But I also talked about Cardiff away <laughs> because that was uh, vitally important. Um, the, Cardiff away, I think, you know, we'd, we'd had uh, a fairly decent performance against Spurs. Um, on the opening game of the season, given that all of the usual factors that ensure Newcastle United start off a season under Mike Ashley with a load of uncertainty and with kind of everything working against them, given given all of that, um, we performed very well, I thought, against Spurs. And I think, you know, we could have easily um, come away with a point, but we didn't. Um, but there were good signs. I thought, um, you know, Kennedy looked really good. Um, the, the players looked like the, the, there was a bit of confidence in there, um, despite the fact that, you know, Lejeune was missing. Rondon clearly joined late and wasn't, wasn't fit. Um, Gale had gone, so, you know, Shelby wasn't in a position where, you know, he built up that relationship with Gale the season before. He kind of, he could just pick out Gale, he could anticipate, understand Gale's movement. That option wasn't there. 
So I was very worried going into the Spurs match, and especially given the World Cup that England had as well, and the the, the, Spurs, the, the Spurs players are in that England squad, I thought we're going to get a hiding, um, and we didn't. So I went down to Cardiff full of, full of good spirits, and um, obviously the Cardiff game, you know, it, it was a very protracted game between two sides who were desperate not to get beat as opposed to win, but we, we had that brilliant opportunity um, at the end with that injury time penalty. And for some reason, Kennedy stepped up to take it. Um, and I think I did the match day podcast, and I was like, he'll score, he'll definitely score. But deep down, his body language suggested that he was a bit fearful. And obviously, the penalty itself was pitiful. And um, he, in my opinion, never really recovered from that penalty miss. Psychologically, he looked absolutely beaten pretty much any time he played subsequent to that match. And obviously, not winning that match away against Cardiff and then given that you know ultimately five of our um, first 10 games were against five sides who finished in the top six we were really desperate for a win and that that desperation the more desperate you come the less likely you are it seems to win and I think the not getting the three points at Cardiff had a, had a huge impact on on the whole squad psychologically I feel that if we got the three points in that game I think we'd have been looking at different matches against Crystal Palace, Leicester perhaps at home. Um, and I think we may have come out of that period with four or five more points on the board. Um, there are all that, obviously other factors as well, um, get, you know, that that I believe contributed to the, to the slow start. I don't know if you want me to go into those right now, but I'm perfectly happy to do so. Yeah, well, first of all, sorry for, for putting Cardiff away on you. That's a lack of plan on my part when you said you wanted to take Cardiff. Um, but you're spot on in everything you say, and I, I do want you to go into those details, maybe not straight away though, because I, I totally agree with you that Rafa's teams at Newcastle, from what we've seen, are entirely confidence based. And I reckon, you know, the the C word that Rafa uses the most through the season isn't what he probably uses to describe the people who work above him, but confidence, confidence, confidence. He's always talking about confidence, and like it seems it seems quite strange to me sitting in this room with you lads to think that these players who are like really good at football. You know, comparatively, they might not be as good as other teams in the league, but they've managed to you know build this career to this point that that confidence that something as simple as missing a penalty and not winning a game can have such a detrimental effect on the team, and and it was looking really bad for a while. And Norman, I'll come back to you on the start of the season. I, I want to come back to Ben first, though. Start of the season, and, and Rob's very kindly um, printed the fixtures off here for us to look back on from NUFC.com. Of course, uh, a great resource for Newcastle United fans. Um, you know, we didn't win for what was it, eleven games? Eleven games. Looking through those games, though, and, and I want to ask you about the context of the, the rest of the season. Is it just one of those where, as Norman rightly says, when you when you're facing five of the top six in your first eight games, or whatever it is, is there actually only so much you can do? Or looking back at those games, do you think you know what? If we'd had a little bit of luck, not some terrible refereeing decisions, and I'm thinking of Brighton at home when Mariner gives them a non-existent corner, they have one shot and score. I'm thinking of Man United, Anthony Taylor at two 0 handball you know I'm thinking of Tottenham at home we hit the, the 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 post and the crossbar and all that kind of stuff what what did you sum up our start of the season as bad luck or or we were just not we were just a bad team because remember I think a lot of people despite what happened in the summer saw our red hot finish to the previous season and we're thinking more of the same here and we'll be absolutely fine yeah it's a difficult one wasn't it I mean it, it was the, by far and away the toughest start wasn't it um but I, I still feel like we, we gave a really good account of ourselves. It's strange to think that one point out of the first um, six games 
well, it was so bad, so bad that, when you like, say that. Yeah, but like, it's, it was, and and that was a, a a draw at Cardiff, who you could argue was probably our worst game in that that period in terms of performances. Cardiff could have nicked something. Well, well, could have could have taken all three points. Obviously, we missed that pen that no one's gone into there. But um, the performances against Spurs and Chelsea in particular. I mean, especially Chelsea. Obviously, we went back, uh, went behind, we, we came back to get level in. We were in the ascendancy at that point. I mean. He had a not a bad start of the season. He chipped in with a few goals and I think that was where we were all expecting Rondon to come straight in and just be be I know it's not Rafa's way normally, but given that we know what Hosley was capable of, I think that was probably one of the biggest disappointments was that we didn't see more of Rondon at that point. Obviously that probably paid um fruition later on in the season with how well he's he's finished. But um, that was a, a real disappointment. But within within that, we, we we had some really good performances and we showed a lot of fight. And there was a lot of adversity against the team. Obviously, we hadn't had all the um, all the the sort of investment that I'm sure Rafa was expecting that we were probably expecting. Um, and I just think that that knowing what we had that that um, the bad luck with the, the fixtures, we 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 actually did really well. We just didn't get the 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 points that we deserved from it. Um, but I feel like that would have done the team a lot of good in terms of strengthening them psychologically. Having gone through those games and been so close, they probably probably would have given them a lot of confidence. It's interesting you're talking about Kennedy, who obviously went the other way. But I think there's a lot of plays in there um, that will have taken a lot out of how that we weren't that far off those teams. And I think that probably gave us a bit of confidence when we went to play the teams in the division that we we've already matched, the, they've sort of played the hardest games of the season and we've matched them um, without getting the, the sort of results that we probably deserved out of them. Yeah, Norman, having heard that from Ben, just interesting to get your thoughts on how we played at the start of the season, how much was it luck v kind of performances and, and what, what you know, you, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the the reasons for that and let's, 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 let's call it what it was, it was an utterly disastrous start. I mean, I'm looking at the, the fixtures here and we go to Crystal Palace um, on the 22nd of September, and it's nils each in one of the worst games I've ever seen in, in my entire life. And, and as Newcastle fans, we've seen a few bad ones. Yeah, true faith, big day out as it was. And then, you know, when you're at um, Southampton, mate, on, on the 27th of October, the 27th of October, um, we only pick up our third point of the season. What 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 are your thoughts on that start, Norman? What like How did we get to this point after being so enthused at the end of the previous season? I, I, you know, I agree with a couple of things that Ben said. You know, I mean, luck does to a certain extent play a part, but let's—you have to look at the bigger picture, and and it starts basically um, in June. Uh, Rafa not getting every penny generated as promised. So first off, yeah, you know, these plans are made at the end of the follow uh, the previous season. Players in mind to buy. This is what I'm going to have to spend. This is what I'm going to do, and then that's pulled away from him. He has to start his plans all over again. Not only does that, you know, to a certain extent, mean starting from scratch. It also immediately generates a feeling of there's a lack of trust there straight away. The plans have been, you know, trashed, and he's had to go and move on to a new a new set of plans. So close to the start of the season, um, you know, the I don't know what kind of spirit it must engender when your boss is pretty much just lying to you permanently, which is what but Ash Mike Ashley did to Rafa Benitez. So there's that. Um, there's the absolute carry on of the Salomon Rondon deal. Rafa clearly indicated that he wanted Rondon early on. It dragged on, it dragged on, it dragged on. Charney came out and um, said that basically he didn't want to sign him, more or less. Um, Rondon eventually arrives. He arrives unfit. He hasn't had a pre-season. Um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you kind of plan tactically for how you're going to start the season when you, you, you know, you're looking at 
you're playing friendlies with players who are either moving on, aren't in your plans, or haven't even arrived. What, 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 what do you do with that? You know, Rafa's basically trying to get in a pre-season planning schedule within a week before the Spurs game. Um, and as I say, Rondon arrives in. Now, I'll put these five names here, right? So let's look at this. Rondon, Lejeune, Shelby. Uh, sorry, Rondon, Lejeune, Perez, Shea and Almiron. Probably five of our, five of our most important players um, when we went on that really good run in, in the new year. Now, we look at the start of the season. Rondon, in the first 10 games, played 212 minutes of football and he was unfit for those. Um, Perez played in every single game he started nine of them um, he was a sub in one but he was taken off six times and he's dropped at home for the Watford game Shea started one of those matches Almiron wasn't there now let's look at Almiron we were linked with Almiron last summer that's a deal that could have been done last summer so we start the season with a full pre-season with Almiron fit Lejeune fit Rondon and fit Perez you know and, and perhaps I mean Shea's a different one it just took him a while to settle in but you're, you're probably looking at seven or eight more points from those, those first games that we started so I really think that the, the fact that the summer was another summer that went completely and utterly wrong and not according to, to the plan that Rafa probably had in his mind, you know, the day after the Chelsea game 17 that had a huge impact on how, how we started the season. And, um, you know, you can, you can look at, um, let's say, the, the, 10 games, the 10 games at the start of the season where I think we picked up two or three points. And then the 10 games after um, Almiron's debut, when everyone was firing all cylinders, we picked up 15 points. Uh, sorry, 16 points. It, the, the, the difference is huge. It's just planning, getting people in when you want them, and, um, you know, and, and, move, and moving forward with optimism. And that just was not the case at the start of the 18-19 season. And I'll lay the blame squarely at the doors of the people above Rafa for that. Well said. And I think that's pretty comprehensive. Um... You know, this is a real hard season for me to kind of digest. And when you look back, and now we are recording on Thursday at half past seven. And, you know, you'd kind of hope that Rafa was still locked in a room with Mike Ashley, like forcing him to drink pints and he's sick in fireplaces while he d- demands that he's allowed transfer autonomy for next season with every penny generated, not 30 million out of the club, but every every penny generated. But in reality, it's it's probably, I don't know, who knows what's going on. So I don't want to get too much into the future of the manager in this podcast. We're going to cover it so much when the decision is announced on True Faith. But it's like, if you look at last season, the seventeen eighteen season, um, there was a lot of context to that and it made a lot of sense. So we started all right, got much worse, signed Dubravka, signed Kennedy, Perez comes good, <laughs> Shelby comes good, Diarmé comes good. Um, Lejeune comes good with Lascelles and, and and everything makes sense from that point on we're really good, we'll beat all the teams at home and we're kind of getting to this summer and everything falls apart again for the second summer in a row and then this this season's a weird season because I remember going into that Watford game that were one thing, if we don't win today and what, let's not forget, Watford were like had won like six in a row or something Watford were like fourth or something ridiculous going into that game I remember thinking that specifically because they've wrote about 1500 which is shite Um Proof I've got no beef with Watford, but proof that like you know we're competing and being you know easily bested by clubs of this size who get twenty thousand for home games and in the, the the best ever top flight run in about thirty years since Graham Taylor was there. They only managed to bring fifteen hundred and a three o'clock at Newcastle, but that's another story. If we we deserve to lose that game, um, Watford were really unlucky. If you hadn't if we hadn't won that game, we were in in real real trouble and you know once you get to that 8, nine, ten game mark of a season you start looking at the stats and stats start being produced like 
no team has ever gone so long without winning and stayed up. No team's ever finished, you know. I think the main one from this season, I've got nothing to say in this, but uh, I think in the last 10 years, every single team who's been top at Christmas has won the league. <laughs> Until this year. Um, people keep saying, oh, what more could Liverpool have done in the title race? Well, not blow a seven-point lead would be would be my top of my suggestions. But who who are we to talk about such things, considering what happened in our distant past? But yeah, so this season's a real strange one. And Norman, you mentioned the signing of Almiron as being pivotal and, and, and 15 points picked up, 16 points picked up in the, the 10 games after he signed, which is, you know, kind of form that would get you, if not in the top six, you know, certainly on the way heading there. Um Rob, you know, let's let's look at it another way. You know, we we'll talk about season um, seventeen, eighteen, the signings of Dubravka and Kennedy. You know, Rafa finally settles on Shelby and Diarmi as a two that season, and from that point on, <laughs> we're all right. Totally different this season. A lot of people would look at Isaac Hayden. And Norman's talked about that Cardiff game, and you know that penalty that we missed. Despite let's let's face it, against a shocking Cardiff side, we were we were shite. And there's also a lot of people forget about the Forest away game, which was three or four days later. We were shite in that and. A lot of people were wondering, like, how have we got? So, despite the the excellent, um, sorry, despite the terrible transfer window that we had, clearly regressed since the end of last season. Um, so Isaac Hayden is sent off in that game, and how how impressed were you with his turnaround? And how much do you put our turnaround this season down to his inclusion in this side? Yeah. So um, in terms of the Cardiff match, first of all, I was lucky enough to be there as well because I. I travelled down from the north. Lucky. <laughs> I feel like I was lucky. I, I love going to away games, you know. Like um, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I met met up with Norman and uh, all the lads down there. I think Chris Shipman was there and a few Sean and a few of the other lads as well. Um, it's my first, it was my first trip to Cardiff. Um, and when when Hayden came on, I think he, I think he came on for Mankiw at half time. Um, Mankiw had started at right back, and Hayden came on and. A lot of us in the away end were kind of like, oh my God, you know, Hayden's coming on. Where, where's he going to play? Is he going to play right back? What Are we going to change formation? What's going to happen? And also bear in mind that in July of that, of that summer, like last, basically a year ago, he'd said he wanted, well, he needed to leave Newcastle United and we're all thinking his heart in it. He hadn't played against Tottenham, I don't think. Um, basically, no, no. So for me, when 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 I, when Mankiw went off injured, um, I, I really did worry about Hayden coming on, and um, it, it was a really strange one because you know the, the tackle that he made to get sent off for was horrendous. I mean, like it, it looked, it looked like almost like going back to that was what was the game when we, Williamson got sent off? Almost, uh, and, he, Leicester. Yeah, and he was accused by Car- by Carver of getting. <laughs> deliberately sent off. If, if ever you think things are bad now, just think well, what this Rob's is the point about. I'm making, right? I, I I really did worry then. I thought like this is the second game of the season. We're playing away at Cardiff City, who are going to get relegated, and we were struggling. Um, it was it was a shit game. Isaac Hayden came on for Mankio, and I thought like, is his heart in it because he'd announced he wanted to leave family reasons. Uh, is this high or not? Then he goes and gets sent off. And the first thing I thought was he's done it on purpose, you know. And then you're, you're thinking, has Ashley actually kidnapped Rafa over the summer <laughs> and put John Carver in with like a mask on or something? <laughs> like what was going on here? There was Ben. There was all sorts of things going through my mind at that point, honestly, <laughs> especially after a few pints. Was, was I was not the main one? Why can't Kennedy take a pint? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, that that was also worrying, considering he hadn't made a single pass in the first half. <laughs> As a lot of people will remember, I'm sure he didn't make a single 
completed pass in the first half of that Cardiff match. But uh, yeah, so Hayden, just to go back to Hayden, he was sent off. And from that point, I, I really did think that was we wouldn't see any more of him that season. I, you know, this season, I just thought it would be the end of him. Rafa's very much a manager that trust. he has to trust his players. And given that, given that situation where it appeared that... I mean, Hayden, to me, when, it, when he signed for Newcastle United, he comes across as very professional. Very, you know, very level-headed, and that tackle that he made in that Cardiff game was not like him. I thought he came on probably unprepared because he was, probably wasn't expecting, to, especially to play at right back. But and then he goes and gets sent off, and I, I, I just thought, well, that's probably the end of the save. Um, but to go and then just to jump miles forward, I know, I know, we're going to go through the whole season, but I just want to, <laughs> I just want to go all the way ahead to the Liverpool game. After the Liverpool game at home, with the lap of appreciation, during that lap of appreciation, as Isaac Hayden walked past the strawberry corner, there was a chance of Isaac Hayden would want you to stay. And all I could think of then was when he was sent off against Cardiff, and I thought, how has he gone from being vilified, like, you know, after that red card at Cardiff, which potentially led to that nil-nil, to being, like, lauded by the fans at the end of the season? And it, it, I think that that really made it stand out to me, like how how good a season he had had since that red card, and he really, really has knuckled down and um, the effort that he's put in, and it just again, it's confidence. Like you know, like he's not he's not the greatest midfielder in the world. He's not a Patrick Vieira. He's not a Roy Keane. He plays in that sort of position, but he's nowhere near the ability they had. However, Rafa seems to get this performance out of players which is just above their station you know like he has this ability to coach players and almost give them the confidence to go out and play way above the ability that they have in them and I think Isaac Hayden sums that up perfectly he he is you know he's, he's not a world beater by any stretch of the, of the imagination but when I've watched him play this season apart from Cardiff away he has been exceptional and I distinctly remember being, I was doing the match day podcast at, at, um, at Wolves when he scored, uh, you know, to, to put us 1-0 up. And for those on, who subscribe to Patreon and listen to the match day podcast will have heard me say that I was delighted from him. He played well, not only in, that, in the start of that Wolves game leading up to the goal, but since the red card at Cardiff, just excelled and... I was I was genuinely like thrilled for him. I, I was I was really pleased. He managed to score against Wolves and one of the Wolves games, I'm sure. But um, yeah, just um, the 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 amount of decent performances he put in was just was immense. And I'll come on to the <laughs> partnership he struck up long stuff in him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was I was going to say very well said, Robin and Ben. You know, I'll ask you the question. Um, you know, what was it accidental? Do you think? Do you think that like seasons are defined on such things? And we'll look at. You know, I'm going to talk about formation at the minute, but I think that you know we sign Isaac Hayden and we will play four four one one every single week in the championship without fail, um, as we did nearly the whole of last season, seventeen eighteen, um, and this season we've got that very obvious tactical change, um, which I'll come on to, but you know, Longstaff Hayden are four and five in terms of midfielders. They're not even in the conversation when Key, Diarmi and Shelby are fit. And Shelby goes off against Watford. 
when he's playing really badly. That leaves Key and Diarmi from then on. Then Diarmi gets injured, and then Key goes off to the um, Asian Games. You know how much of you know? I'll, I'll say it. Have has Rafa been lucky? By by those circumstances, forcing his fourth and fifth choice best midfielders into his team. Well, you can't say he was lucky because it was absolute shock. And wanted to be left with them three, uh, with them two, especially for the run of games. So, wouldn't say he's been lucky. Um, dealt a shit hand, I think you could call it. To be fair, but to, I, I wouldn't say it's luck because I think with Rafael, he's so um, he's, he's clinical in in the way he, he he sort of goes around his work. So. When he signed Isaac Hayden, he didn't sign him just to be a, a bench warmer or anything like that. He obviously saw potential. The things um, Rob's just been talking around there about the character of the bloke. I mean, he's all the stuff he does outside of of, of the um, off off the pitch um, sort of shows you the type of bloke he is. And um, I think that that sort of just that determination. I mean, at the end of the day, he's come through Arsenal. You've got to have something about you to to stand stick around as long as he did as well to get there. So there's clearly something there that Rafa saw in the, in that player, um, and his versatility. I think obviously was one of the big things when he first came. And, and you talk around there, Rob, about him playing right back at Cardiff, then coming in to play centre mid at, at, um, at, later on in the season. And um, I don't think it was luck because I think Rafa knew he he was capable of coming in and doing the job that he was asked to do. Now. He wasn't coming in and playing as a, a playmaker or anything like that. He was coming in basically to be an extra defender in an advanced role to come in, win the ball, push forward, and, and he's a brilliant tackling. I mean, that's one of the things you, you look at Hayden, his progression through this season. The more confidence he, he, he gets, the higher up the pitch he's pushing. I mean, there's some games where he's almost playing like a right winger, like in a defensive role, but he's pushing that high up the pitch and winning the balls back. And Longstaff grew from that as well, I think. And it, to be honest... You, it sound, seems strange to, to say it, but I think Longstaff will have taken a lot from playing with someone like Hayden that probably wasn't going to be... When they came in together, Longstaff, had it been a Shelby, a Key or a Diome, he would have just been, right, You like I'll just play it really simple. I'm not going to sort of risk anything. You're the senior player here. You do all everything. Whereas when he came in with Hayden, I don't think there was that aura of sort of, you're much better than me. It was a kind of, we're on equal footing here. And I think that'll have given him a bit of a confidence boost to to, to play his game and and start to sort of um, get forward and and take risks, I suppose, in games and push on. I mean, you look back to that penalty wins um, at Man City, challenging Fernandinho in their box, nicking the ball. Like we we wouldn't have done that with Diome or any of the uh, like Key or Shelby. So you could just see how much those two. Oh, oh I suppose it's the challenge of. Of the, in the competition of like we've got an opportunity here like let's let's take it and we've got nothing to lose um, and I think that that pushed both of them on to to sort of better um, performances. Yeah, so I was I was having a little look through the uh, again the fixture list the, the results list now on uh, nufc.com and I, I little I had a little look at um, when the Hayden Longstaff partnership started. Uh, so the first game they played together was the one-one draw against Blackburn in the FA Cup, which was. Like, yeah, but took yeah. the words out of my mouth. Yeah, um, yeah, I was there with my kids, and it was I, I regretted going. <laughs> Trust me, when uh, me, Mickey, and Paul missed the first two goals I scored at Ewood, we regretted going as well. We got. I'm not even going to it. People who listen on Patreon will know why. But we went away again and missed the first like four minutes. But uh, the, as we all know, the FA Cup's 
clearly not important. So um, the first Premier League game that they started together was Chelsea away. And I was there. Very, again, luckily, it, it was a fantastic game. Those who remember it, we lost 2-1. Um, it was, you know, went down 1-0 early on and then Kieran Clark scored from a corner. And what, what I remember from that game was I was, it was the first time I've ever been at the very front of the away end. So like literally like pitch side, if you like. Um, and I, I kept a close eye on Sean Longstaff that day because I thought, you know, looking at the, when the team lineup came out, I thought, you know, we're playing Chelsea, we're world-class team. And we're starting with Hayden and Longstaff in the middle. And similar to what Ben said, you know, in the Man City game, I was terrified, you know, going into the match. I thought we're starting with Hayden and Longstaff in the middle against a world-class midfield. And I thought we were just going to get torn apart. But watching Sean Longstaff in that match, I think it was that it was at that point, you know, I, I watched him and I thought, wow, this lad's going to be a, going to be a quality player. You know, 20, 21 years old, um, playing at Stamford Bridge against this world-class midfield. Um, you know, he was getting closed down quickly, but wasn't losing possession. And I, all I all I could think watching that game was that, you know, Rafa watching him play would have been delighted because Rafa loves midfielders who retain the ball, retain possession, and keep the team going forward. And Longstaff was doing all those things, even away at Chelsea, you know, in his in his in his first Premier League start. So, um. And Hayden, you know, they, they complemented each other fantastically. And it, what better, what better occasion to, to sort of showcase yourself than Chelsea away in the Premier League against that team? Um, and it, it was fantastic to watch. Honestly, like uh, Longstaff just looked like he was a cultured midfielder. Like I don't know, like you know, it, it could have been Shelby in there. It would have made any difference. He, he was playing long balls, short balls, but he rarely gave the ball away. And I just thought to myself. That you know this this, this lad's going to be good for, him. and it, it was such a shame that he got injured um, when he did because I think we would have probably finished even higher if he if he'd stayed fit and stayed in the team. But the injury he picked up against West Ham was was a shame. But um, yeah, so I mean, the, the, you know the the the, the combination of um, Longstaff and Hayden in terms of the Premier League went on. You know, we, we, we beat Cardiff three nil at home. Um, then of course the Man City game we won two one. Um, we'll come on. Yeah, we'll come so on to that. Was, I think you, know, you could see it was going to be. A, it was going to be a successful yeah. combination. The the best thing about Long, not the best thing. Oh. Key thing about Longstaff is he, unlike all of our other central midfielders, bar Shelby at Fulham, is he's a goal threat. And it's yeah, he got his goal against Burnley, which is a brilliant goal. But he'd also been knocking on that door for a seriously long time, and that. <sighs> Without wanting to get too negative for a minute, because I'm still really impressed by what this team have achieved this season. Like we aren't very good. We don't score many goals. We're, we're quite good defensively, but we, we don't score many goals. You know, not much more than a goal a game. You know, once upon a time in the Premier League, that that would have got you relegated. I think it, I'm still in shock that last season Huddersfield stayed up scoring 28 goals. Like talk about the writing being on the wall. <laughs> I wish I'd put my mortgage on Huddersfield come down this year. Like, but. Uh, you know, and in a player like Sean Longstaff um, comes in young, local. By the way, great, great proof that you don't have to be like eighteen yeah, in a superstar yeah. or nineteen. You know, twenty-one getting on twenty-two. He's not actually that much younger than Hayden. Yeah. Um, 
but he, he's been out at Blackpool. He's he's done his time, and and you know to, to go back to the question, I'll say it. I think we're a little bit lucky there, but that's what you you know we're unlucky Disgrace. against all these games and you know Wolves away and all that kind of thing when we really deserved more. It was a it was a stroke of luck that you know Key got called up to the the games and that you know I wouldn't say players get injured to stroke of luck, but I don't think in a relegation battle that Rafa Benitez turns to Isaac Hayden and Longstaff. To potentially turns things. I could be wrong. I could, there, could, there could have been in waiting. It could have been the master plan. But I think that injuries to other players. Ben's few. It's, it's a disgrace. Rafa's laid hogtied in the van of Mike Ashley at the minute. Absolutely fuming at the thought that this was luck. Are we live? Are we live streaming? Like um. Uh. Anyway. I want to talk about the formation because I think that one of the most important things to the success of Hayden and Longstaff is their defensive ability. And you're spot on, Rob, like you say, moving the ball and keeping the ball moving, particularly with our full-backs and our third centre-back, um, was was crucial. But if you listen to Rafa Benitez spoke to Guillaume Balaguer recently for a Five Live podcast about the biggest game of his career, and he talked about how one of the things he took pride at Valencia and at other teams since was that teams like just can't open his sides up, they can't create chances. So Valencia, I mean... We're 32 minutes in. I joked to, to Norman off air that the last last year's season review we did was two hours long, and we definitely weren't going to do two hours this time. But we'll, we'll see how we get on because we've got so much left to talk about. Um, yeah, Stephen Gerrard and Rafa Benitez. When when Benitez first signs for Liverpool, like I think Liverpool for some reason had played Valencia loads in the previous year as Valencia went on to win the Europa League. I think they played in the Champions League, the Europa League, and in a friendly at Anfield, and. Um, I think one of the first things that Carragher says to Benitez, the new manager, what a new Valencia manager, we literally couldn't create a chance against you. And when you look at us in, in, in the, when, I, when we're at our best, and I'm not talking about set pieces because they don't come because we're fucking shite at defending set pieces. Miguel Antia, earn your money, you're out there with your clipboard. Like, um, we are terrible at defending set pieces. But ignore, you know, I'm talking open play here. When we play the likes of Manchester City at home, and even when when we played the likes of you know um, Liverpool to an extent, you could you could call it bad defending. But we're not we're not the kind of team like and we're going to talk about the Man City game. We don't beat Man City at home with Dubravka pulling off a string of saves. We don't beat you know Cardiff at home, Huddersfield at home, Burnley at home. Those teams like almost struggle to like even get in our penalty area at times. And I, I think that's I think the ability of Hayden and Longstaff. To control that part of the pitch in the close down space and the using the extra centre back that we've got to kind of interchange with them at times, particularly Hayden, is a massive asset in this formation. And I think one of the reasons that Hayden was so successful and Longstaff is so successful in this formation isn't just their ability on the ball, particularly Longstaff. It's the fact that they're so fit and they can cover so much ground. Longstaff and Hayden in those games, they're just all over the pitch, and you don't get that from our three other central midfielders. And I remember doing the match day podcast at at Old Trafford, tuning up at half time. One of the we were oh, yeah, us three there. Um, cheers, Auntie Taylor, you prick. Um, who Auntie Taylor, by the way? That I don't know if anyone watched Leeds Derby, but he just he just basically he went out there and he thought, well, I'm going to lose control. Of it'll be it'll be an entertaining game, like like twelve cards and two reds or something. Just Terrible, terrible referee. But, um, you know, I remember looking at Shelby and Diarmid at half-time thing, and that was class, but they're not good here. They're absolutely not good. And Jose Mourinho, 
throws on Fellaini, is it, I think. Yeah, is it Fellaini and Mata and Sanchez. He just he just throws on midfielders, knowing that those two three, three now, subs that probably cost more yeah. than our entire squad. Yeah. Exactly, but, oh, exactly, but it's, I think it's the fact that Mourinho, being a good manager, recognised that we we were blown in midfield. Diarmé getting on, Shelby not the most mobile. Compare that to Hayden and Longstaff. And listen, Diarmé and Shelby played great that day, and they provided other qualities. But Hayden and Longstaff's mobility is probably what Rafa loves. And people talk about, you know, would we? Is there any chance of keeping Hayden? How much would you sell him for? I, I honestly think that Rafa's first choice starting to uh, next season out of the current crop of midfielders would be those two players, Hayden and Longstaff. And if we look at quickly, because we're running out of time. The change to five four one is is interesting. Can we all just have a little think back and a smile at ourselves about the time when we had Lejeune and Shaw in that back three? Wow, nah. that was a one of the best moment like periods of my life. <laughs> um, but uh, in, we'll come on to Shaw in a bit. Regarding this, is excluding games against like Man City away when we, we did it last last season in seventeen eighteen, we'd go to five at the back, but it was very much a con, you know a containment strategy. This season, at the start of the season, we we'll stick with our four four one one. Perez in behind us. Norman's talked about Perez's start, subbed off six times in the first nine games or whatever it was, and dropped for the other game against Watford, where he eventually scores the winner. It isn't until Burnley away, um, which me and Rob were at, where we, we play this formation. Now, when I when I think back to how we analysed that game, Burnley play with two big lads up front, Wood and Barnes, isn't it? Barnes. Bonds of Oaks, I can't remember who played that oh, day. Yeah, Oaks scores, doesn't it? Um, but by the way, I, I can, sorry, just jump in. I can remember standing with you in the away end in the concourse. And the team sheet came out and we looked at it and went, eh, like, what, yeah. what's going on here? And then, Where, yeah, playing, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Then when we, we went out and saw the team line up, I think it was me, you, and Adam were there and we said, what the fuck is Richie doing left back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't played there so disastrously last season against Chelsea as well. But. He plays that formation, and I thought, well, it's, it's, it's having three centre-backs to combat the height, because that's all Burnley are just a long ball team who play long balls to those lads. Chris Wood is like a genius in the air, outside the penalty area, at finding players, and it works, and we win, and we should win 4-5-1, uh, but we don't. Richie and misses like an open goal. Richie misses an open goal, but it was a good night, and I'll, I'll talk about the away games a little bit more later on. We'll play that game, that was the 26th of November, right, and... We were unbeaten in four games. We'd won the last three. Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford were drawn at um, Southampton. And we're going to West Ham at home. And, and I think West Ham at home is its almost the Watford of the previous season. Like, you know, Rafa's teams are, and, and everyone was, you know, showing the graphics, you know, but almost like what points were goals caught for and against at various points at the end of the season are the same. It's like, we'll always get one. We'll always get one shite home game against a shite team who would like just turn it over for no reason. And that West Ham game, I reckon was was seminal in the season because first of all I think I believe it's the last time all season we'll line up with four at the back um at the start of a game uh, and he plays I think it's Fernandez and Sher that game and um on out of and Hernandez and Anderson's a front three have what pants down the midfield can't cope with and I remember looking back at the team I think it was like Diame um key Rondon Perez Richie, all the lads, do you know what I mean? All the real lads. Like basically the first team out, and we really, really should have lost by far more than just the three on the day. West Ham were wasteful in the second half. They could have scored more than the three. And I think that was the day Rafa really decided that, right, we are going to have to create a defensively solid identity because we were conceding too many goals. 
in games. It wasn't the same team that you'd seen previously. And I think I think Hayden and Longstaff are crucial because when you look at the results after that, Rob, you were at Everton, and so yep. were you, Ben, um, for for an excellent one-all draw. We play with five at the back against Wolves, where we lose. We play with five at the back against Huddersfield away and get a win. Um, and then we play Seminole Day. And this is this is where for me, you know, I lost faith a little bit in this because we play Fulham at home in one of the worst games ever. You know, Fulham we've just beat them four nil. They were probably worse when we played them in December, December under yeah, Ranieri yeah, yeah. than they were when we played them on the last day of the season. And and that's where you've got to hand it to this manager of ours. That's why like gobshites like me. Not that I was saying sack him or he doesn't know what he's doing. I was saying surely you've got to play for at the back and. He knows, he knew that with the right application and the players learning and working in training, that this formation would be the formation that down Manchester City, the formation that Liverpool didn't deserve to beat against. These three, you know, these these sides have just pissed on everyone else. And I know we were unlucky a little bit on Boxing Day at Liverpool with, with Salah diving for a pen. Um, it's it's like, that, that's, that's how our manager is world-class. He's kind of identified this formation you know, we're kind of forced into it, and across the season, we'll then see some of the best attacking football that we've seen in, in twi- quite a while in terms of the goals we've scored, the results we've picked up, and it's uh, it's just like it's just pleasure to know that there's a, a tactical mind plus the coaching staff, and then a set of players like a Matt Ritchie, for example, who is struggling. He was struggling all season as a as a right winger. He's hiding at left back, a left wing back, and becomes one of our most important players. And Fabian Scher is another one. Fabian Scher, to me. Just my own opinion, looked hopeless. Before before that change to five at the back, he had his pants pulled down by Philippe Anderson. Kieran Clark was regularly getting in the team ahead of him. And although we could all tell he had ability on the ball, the change to five at the back or three centre backs, however you want to define it, it, you know, player of the season. I mean, content. he played in that Forest game, didn't he? When we got Hamed as well, and looked awful. Like, I, I was really surprised. Like when when you you see him at the at the beginning in that back four, you think, no, you wonder he was three quid. We've probably had with. <laughs> Been with Hoyt three three million away here, um. So, but you you spot on. I think the the biggest thing, and I suppose it's so what Rafa craves and, and everything you've just said there is the adaptability. It's the adaptability of he he can put whatever side you give him, he will make a team difficult to beat. But also the players, and you can see in terms of the business that he's done and um every every everything that he's he's put together. It's all about being adaptable to situations and. You, you talk about um, a few few of the players you've mentioned there. They've, they've all played different roles in this team. And Shaw, um, as a centre back in a four in a back four, looked a little bit out, a bit lost, a little bit out of place. Put him in a back three. He's pushing forward. He's getting involved. He's starting attacks and um, becomes basically like a playmaker in in your in your back five. And um, it, it was just I, I, again, I, I think that is by design from Rafa. He knew what he was buying when he when he went out and got Shaw for an absolute bargain. Now, I mean, three million. It's got to be one of the, the best signings of the season. He, he knew what he was doing because he he obviously seen what that player could do and how he would work with the likes of Lejeune on the other side and would complement the other players in that team. And you got to give Rafa the utmost respect for for basically building that team into the team that we've seen at the end. Yeah. And- on Patreon, we're, we know we're going to do it this summer as well. We'll do transfer shows. We'll speak to journalists and fans of clubs of the players that were signed, of you know the clubs that were signing these players from. And Norman, talk to me a little bit, Fabio, about Fabian Sher. I mean, Ben's just given us a, a eulogy there, which is well said. You know, you spoke to a, a journalist last season, ahead of the season, before any of us had seen him play, and um, you know, how did that go? And, and you know, what kind of indication did he give in advance of the kind of play that we were getting? 
What the journeys from Deportivo is the journeys who come as Deportivo for um, La Voz de Galicia, which is the kind I suppose the the equivalent of the, of the Chronicle, but just uh, with with less adverts when you go on the website. Um, <laughs> the um, the he said in that particular interview that um, Shea was an excellent footballer. He was great at bringing the ball out from the back. He could make these kind of thirty to forty yard marauding runs. His range of pass was fantastic, but his defensive lapses in concentration and positioning were a liability. But what he did say to that was, give Rafa Benitez the opportunity to work with him, and there's a real player in there. And he said, you've got a bargain, and it proved to be absolutely right. The thing is, you. We've seen we've seen this with Rafa. We've just been talking about Isaac Hayden there. Um, Isaac Hayden pretty much played most of his games at Hull City as a right back, and all of a sudden he's a you know he's a one of the form box to box midfielders in the Premier League. By the time he leaves uh, Newcastle United, um, Rafa's has done that yet. with Shea. Uh, with Shea. He's, he's turned. He's absolutely turned. He's turned him round. Um, Shea started one league game in the first ten, um, two games in the first eleven. If you include the Forest match. And there's a reason for that. It's because, as you said, Alex, he was completely lost playing in a back four. Um, but the moment we switched to that back three, the moment that he's had sort of four or five months on the training ground with, with Rafa, with Rafa's staff, um, he looks a completely transformed player. And if he continues the form that he's, um, that he's shown in the last three, four months of the season into the next one, then we'll struggle to keep hold of him next summer. Yeah, you're spot on. And I suppose that, that brings us nicely into... The game you did want to talk about, Norman Cardiff City yes. at home. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, the reason I want to speak about this Cardiff game is because I think it was a it was a seminal moment in the season. So if we if we look back at the Cardiff away match, it uh, there's a great juxtaposition. The Cardiff away match had a psychological impact in the fact we missed that last minute penalty. It has a knock on effect. This Cardiff City home match for me as a fan, and I think possibly the players themselves, and certainly um, obviously other Newcastle fans that I know. It had a huge impact on us psychologically because at the time we played them. So let's let's talk about the teams um, that we finished above. Brighton were in 13th place on 26 points. You had Bournemouth in 12th on, uh, on 27. Burnley were in 15th on 21. Southampton in 16th on 19. Cardiff were in 17th on 19. We won 18th on 18 points. That was after 22 games. And... You look at the previous the games prior to this Cardiff match. Um, we'd picked up uh, two points from our previous five, five points for, five points from the previous nine. So we were struggling. I mean, we were struggling, and you know um, the transfer window opened. We hadn't signed anyone. The Almiron deal was you know as protracted as any kind of transfers at Newcastle. It was dragging on. Probably we thought we're not going to sign anyone. Classic, or we'll get three loan signings in on on deadline day, as is, as is the standard, or as it was until that point. Um, and I thought that we absolutely comprehensively outplayed them. The first 20 minutes, aye, they were a little bit dull, they were a little bit dull, they were a little bit cagey. But the moment that Shea slalomed through with that whole Cardiff City side, um, and of course, you can point the finger at blame and say Cardiff was shocking in how they let him do it. But to have the confidence, the self-belief, and the kind of close control to go and do that, I just thought that not only must that have given a, a great boost to Shea, I think that the way that we... Utterly outplayed them, gave a great boost to us. And I remember leaving, this, uh, leaving St. James's after the 3-0 win with Sai and saying, we basically need to survive this season, we need 34 to 35 points. That win had put us on 21 points. Um, we, had, we picked up our 35th point against Bournemouth away in March and Cardiff City got relegated with, um, I think, 34 points. So that for me was, was huge. Not only was it huge for Shea and the kind of belief that the fans obviously had in him after that game, 
I just think it was it was huge for for the players and the um and the uh, and, and the fans as a collective. Definitely, I mean, it resurrected every, everything in the club, didn't it? The, the team, the performances, the I mean, the fan base. I mean, I remember thinking at that Cardiff time, um, at this around the time of that Cardiff game, thinking if if we don't beat these here, we're, we're probably one of the favourites to go down. And, well, sorry, um, sorry, sorry, Ben. I just add one more. I add one more quick important stat to that as well. Guess who got the goal in the third minute of injury time? Uh, against Cardiff at home. Mm-hmm. Great question. That was it, Perez. It was Ayuse Perez, and look what happened after that. <laughs> we haven't even talked about him yet. I mean, we're, we're like forty-five minutes in here, so yeah. I mean, really quickly, I want to get onto the key moments of the season. That is definitely one of them. Um, but, but quickly, Ben, you know, the a lot, a lot was made of our waveform. We only lost to West Ham. Am I correct here? We only lost outside to West Ham of outside the, of the yeah. top six. I mean, we lost to all the top six yeah. teams away, but. You know, only seven away defeats in nineteen. I mean, we only won four, but still, only seven away defeats. And I'm talking not just not just points, but the performances at the likes of Bournemouth, Wolves, you know, positive te- Everton, which you were at. You know, how, how important do you think they were across the season to to what were eventually achieved? Absolutely massive. I mean, the I mean the Bournemouth and, and Everton game in particular. I was at both of those. It was it was that fighting spirit, and I think. Having faced all the adversity we had at the, the the beginning of the season, and um, there were a lot of things going against us that just even though there were draws, they they were massive because it it showed that we still had the fight. The players were still up for the fight to to stay up, and um and these were against good teams. I mean, Bournemouth at the time were in great form. Everton at the time, obviously, you can talk about um the sort of the investment Everton have had and and sort of the expectations of, of that team, um. And we went in there as as sort of a, a struggling team, really, and and gave a really, really good um, sort of performance and and showed a, um, a a fighting quality that I, I don't think those teams were expected. I mean, Richie's last minute winner. Um, sorry, well, felt like a winner. I, 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 I keep saying I think I say it every time I say it, the winner, the the equaliser. Um, we didn't deserve to lose that game. We didn't deserve to lose against Everton and. I think that just the confidence it got from coming out of those games where we probably would, we obviously were facing in, in Bournemouth especially, um, of potentially having played well and, and obviously Rondon scores that first goal, but then letting it slip and falling to two on and things were going against us. To, to manage to claw something back and, and get, get something out of that game was absolutely massive. And I think Rafa must have, must have been saying, look, we don't lose again. We keep going. We we make sure we take something out of every game that we can from this point on. And okay, we weren't winning many games, and we, we only won four away games. But the those away points, those those draws were so key because it just kept the momentum going. And I mean, you look at um, sort of the the Liverpool, how they've managed to sustain their their champ their title sort of bid was was on that sort of hole. We've only lost to to Man City. Newcastle built built confidence from the fact that we we gave a a good account of ourselves in every game and we were tough to beat and no nobody wanted to play Newcastle. I mean, it wasn't long ago when Newcastle were a soft touch. Newcastle were thought of as one of the easier teams you could play particularly against. Particularly away from home. Particularly like we away from were home. Basically, a walk in three points just would show up and get smashed off everyone. Not anymore. Nobody wants to play Newcastle United at home these days because they know what they're in for. They're in for a battle. They're in for a well drilled team that no matter who's on that pitch, they're gonna get stuck in and, and going to be tough to break down and um and, and that was as I say it was just key to it's, so I say the confidence for our team but also I think um sort of 
put putting the fear in other teams yeah. as well. That um, make, making us a team to be feared, and I, I I can guarantee there would have been nobody in that last stretch would have been looking forward to playing us at home. Well, oh, can I can I just jump in there quickly about on the on the away form um, and not losing to to any any side outside of the top six other than West Ham. I think you know we can look at it and say well we only we we only won four games away, but what we did by by getting a point against those teams in and around us, what we also did was stop them picking up three points. Yeah. Now those sides would have been looking at Newcastle United as, as a a relegation rival and thinking. This is a game that we should be picking up three points. This is a game we're going to get three points in. A bit like we look at, you know, we look at Huddersfield at home. We look at Cardiff at home. We look at, um, I mean, Burnley to an extent at home. I mean, we're we're thinking, you know, we'll be all right because we've got these at home. We'll get three points off them. Well, what Newcastle United did was we stopped those sides winning the games or winning that one game that they thought they might get something out of. Spot on. And let's move on to a game which will live long in the memory. Uh, Rob, you want to talk about Manchester City at home. 2-1 uh, defeat in Newcastle United. Since then, in case you didn't know, um, Manchester City have won all 18 Premier League games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and won like the 12 before that or something. <laughs> I think everyone's probably seen that graphic on uh, social media of um, you know, like Liverpool and Man City's you know, win, draw, loss uh, chart. And there's just that little blotch on, on Man City's uh, list of um, <laughs> one red tile which is uh, Rafa Benitez's Castle United uh, turning them over at St. James Park. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of results, I mean, probably the biggest result, well, biggest result of our season. Um, for those of you who listen to us on Patreon, um, Norman does a, a show called The Greatest Game, um, talking about, as it sounds, games that people want to talk about for Newcastle United, where we've exceeded expectations um a plan to <laughs> record a greatest game podcast with norman all about the man city uh 2-1 win so uh keep an eye out for that if you subscribe um but yeah the, the, that game again I, I said to alex and ben before this podcast i wanted to talk about sean longstaff and isaac hayden um i distinctly remember similar to the chelsea game you know looking at looking at our team lineup against man city at home. Um, I think it was on a, like on a Tuesday night or something. Was it like a midweek game, um, evening match, and it was on TV. Obviously, Man City chasing the title. And if you look at the team sheet to see Newcastle United's um, academy <laughs> productie, John Longstaff alongside, you know, realistically probably a squad player in Isaac Hayden starting in the midfield from, against Fernandinho. Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva, and just filled us with dread. To be honest, I'll, I'll admit freely, I'd, I'd lost the faith. I didn't even turn up the game because I thought <laughs> I, I can't be asked to go and I, sit in the rain in the cold I or whatever was, it was, I was and, uh, and see we lose like nine nil here. Yeah, uh, well, I was terrified, and nine nil. You know, after twenty was it twenty four seconds when Aguero scored, <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't have been an unreal <laughs> sort of prediction. Um, but you know, when you look at when you look back at that match in in terms of our season. Again, Alex said it earlier in terms of confidence, you know, to, to, to beat a team like Manchester City, one of the world's best teams, you know, don't, you don't get better than that in terms of instilling confidence in players. And when you do it with your fourth and fifth choice uh, central midfielders <laughs> in the team lineup, it just magnifies that even more. And 
when you also consider that, I mean, Ben's already mentioned that um, Longstaff won the the penalty for Richie to you know to score the winner. Isaac Hayden got the assist for uh, Rondon to get the equaliser. So um, it's uh, just again testament to the, the to the performances that those two put in as a combination this season that they were able to go into that match with the confidence to not only put up a decent performance against those world-class central midfielders that I met, but to actually outplay them on the day. And I think we, I think we finished that game with like 24% possession in that game, like less than a quarter of the possession. We made it count though. <laughs> well, exactly, Ben. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And, um, you know, on the day we dug in and yes, it was a fantastic team performance, but I always think, you know, in the middle of the pitch, central midfielders are pivotal to how your team play they so they were surrounded by world class players going forward so comfortable I thought on the day and what you know watching the game I was I was, I was good to go behind after like 20 seconds or whatever it was but then from that point they did have a lot of chances but we just well quelled a lot of the problems that and to, to make our t- two big chances count. There's a game that um, I still can't make sense of, you know. To, first of all, I'll give you two of Newcastle's major weaknesses in the Premier League. One, going behind. And two, playing Man City. And even when Man, and City, even when Man City was <laughs> shit, we, oh, were, yeah. we were rubbish. <laughs> Like I've just checked the stats, and it was our first win against them in the league in 22 games. Like Stuart Pearce was sticking out Manchester City and still turning us over. Like, Hold on, Alex. T- 22 years? 22 games. Oh, 22 games. Yeah. I thought you said 22 years. I was going to say, I- I'm sure I remember just, one. Just the 19, 19 defeats in that time as well. So it's not even like we're just, kind of, you know, we're just drawing all the time. I mean, I mean this is like Man City with Richard Dunn and that, isn't it? Like, I remember, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Horrific, horrific teams that we've struggled against. That, like David James up front. Darius Vassell and Andy I remember the, the, the whole the build-up was like, it was literally like reeling off all the stats. It was like the last time Newcastle like didn't lose to City or, or, like, or like got a win and it was rolling back. It was just a, an embarrassing run, wasn't it? But, and I said, I said it at the time. Um, first of all, I'm just reading on the BBC here. Um, it was our first penalty to be scored at St. James's Park since Jordine, in the Premier League since Jorginho win the album against Spurs. I can't. You know, that's, that's rigged. it's rigged. The whole thing's rigged. <laughs> Don't start that. Was, was that back in about two thousands or something? <laughs> that's a whole um, other debate, isn't it? Aye, but uh, you know, it's it's just it's one of them games. And I look at the starting lineup, and like you know, you'll all know the, everyone. But how can players like DeAndre Edlin, five million quid, Fabian Share, Matt Ritchie, the <coughs> right winger playing left wing back, Christian Atsu, Christian Atsu. <laughs> Um, Jose Perez, who cost about again forty quid from Tenerife, <laughs> and and West Brom Solomon Rondon, like down Manchester City, and it, again I'll say it's it's one of those games where, um, you know Man City looking at Rob Stats here only had four shots on target. One of them was a fucking yeah. goal. <laughs> yeah. Like so, it's it wasn't it's it's weird because it wasn't like this. You know if if you know if in ten years time when Manchester when Manchester City haven't lost a game in six years. Like because they've financially <laughs> doped their way to that that pinnacle, um, 
people might, you know, youngsters might, oh, how, how did we beat them? And it's like, oh, I bet, I bet they hit the bar, I bet they had four cleared off the line. You know, did Dubravka have the game of his life? I bet, we, I bet we got away with a couple of penalties, you know, were they down to nine men or something like that? And it's like, no, we just, <laughs> like, we just turned out in the second half, we stayed in it until half time. They had a bit of a go after half time and then they didn't score. And then it was a bit like the Watford game where Watford, when Watford hit the bar at the 60th minute, they're just like, we're not going to score. <laughs> yeah. there, it's like, Man City were like, Probably not our. <laughs> probably, we're probably not going to score again. And then, and then Ron. They, they were scores. playing to keep. I was going to say, like, yeah. keep, keep it tight, innit? Yeah. Can you remember yeah. the look on Guardiola's face sat on that bench, almost crying, wasn't it? On the on the touchline. I've been raffed again. Yeah. I've been raffed. Yeah. But and and we just beat them, and then it was just like at, at full time. It was one, when the final whistle went. It was and it was just one of them like. How the fuck did that happen? Like, and we played really well. Don't get us wrong, but and we defended brilliantly. And you know, and, and it was that that back three of Lascelles. Um, sure and Lejeune um, it, Norman can, can I add to that um, it was also and this, this is going to sound absolutely preposterous but I don't care I'm, I'm quite happy saying it um, and, and being preposterous um, Guardiola has got one way of playing and those players are absolutely magnificent at doing it and it's a you know it's, a fa- it's fantastic football to watch we know all the platitudes that they've had they're all deserved but you mentioned before Alex that Rafa Benitez build sides that don't concede many chances. And in that match, he knew that City had one way, one way of playing, and if we let them play it, if we, if we, if we let them play that style, they would have just destroyed us. But what he did was, he just squeezed them out to the wings. He constantly, we set up to just squeeze them out of the wings, and they created, I mean, those four chances, I remember, obviously, the Aguero goal, um, but clear-cut chances, I, I don't recall any clear-cut chances, because we absolutely limited them. And, and for me, that... Um, the players were fantastic, yes, but that is the absolute was the absolute epitome of a Rafa Benitez masterclass in how to kind of defeat an adversary against all the odds. It was an absolutely beautiful tactical performance, regardless of the possession we had, regardless of how many chances we made it created. That for me is one of my favourite all time performances. We only had two shots, but you're spot on, there, Ben. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, just just on that point, it's it's in really interesting. Cause you look back at Guardiola's um, career and how good they've been, and you think of the teams that have managed to sort of have success against them. So your Chelsea's back in um, the Mourinho era. Um, when he was at Bayern, they, I think they um, got knocked out to Juve, possibly. Um, but basically, all teams that have found the, the basically put that game plan into place where they were pushing them out and there's only really one way you can stop Guardiola teams from playing and that's keeping them wide and and yeah we did it with Longstaff, Hayden and some ridiculous players. On, on, on that point look at the benches and it's one thing to put an 11 out there and then be able to defeat one of the greatest teams the Premier League's ever seen if not the greatest and Rob's just laughing looking at the names it's like who have you got on the bench to try and influence this game? Well, you've got you've got goal machine when he plays Kieran Clark, but who isn't a great defender at this level? You've got Murphy Allard who struggled to get on West Brom's bench. Um, you've got Kennedy who kind of kick a ball most of the season. You've got Fernandez who admittedly is class. You've got Mancio who most Newcastle fans before the, the run of games at the end of the season would would count him in the worst ever players. Did, did Moonlight is uh, Andres Iniesta at moments though later on in the season? And you've got Callum Roberts has just been released, and and Freddie Woodman, who's probably our fourth choice goalkeeper, and, he, and, and and you know he's got Guardiola's got Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Mares, Otamendi, Gabriel Jesus, and Phil Foden. Like, like probably like all of those players walk in. Oh, absolutely, easy. probably 
probably just by themselves as well. We're gonna sack off and, the rest and, of us. And, and the other like eighteen Premier League teams as well, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. So ridiculous night at St James's Park, and let's let's not forget. I only want to touch on this really quickly because we've got so much to get through. We've done an hour. Um, this is a really shit season off the pitch. Like um, protest groups, fan movements not really working out, boycotts, um, late walk-ins. Like the mood before that Man City game when it was announced that Almiron was going to be done kind of helped a little bit. But like you say, Ben, you decided not to come to the game that. That night at St James's Park, I think the official attendance, if we've got it written down anywhere, um, the attendance was only 50,000, and three th- Man City, for a change, brought a full allocation. Um, so there's like 2,000 unsold seats, and probably six or 7,000 season ticket holders didn't go to the game. Not out of anything else, than just pure like dissatisfaction at the way things were going. Rafa Benitez kicking off constantly, quite rightly. He was leaving constantly. You got Mike Ashley on TV saying the club is closer to being sold than ever before. It was just a really shite season for stuff like that. Um, social media, really unpleasant place at times. Um, people victimising people, turning on people because of an opinion on football. Or it's just like fucking hell. Like this club can be so good, but there are so much, so much of this like negativity which surrounds it. We know, we know the reason why. It's because of one bloke ultimately. But like, it's it's nice to be able to look back at the football. And not at the other shite that just surrounds Newcastle United. While we have this kind of poisonous ownership, ultimately that that seeps its way down from the top. So I just wanted to mention that quickly because it has a lot of it in, in terms of someone who, you know, try to write a lot about football and we run these social media platforms and these podcasts. Like, you know, sometimes it's it's, it's been a really, really, really tough season in that respect. Um, but you know, onwards and upwards, and it worked out okay in the end. But was, you know, for a long time. A lot of people thought would get relegated. I mean, looking at the league positions, you know, we lost to Brighton at home at the end of October. And we're, we're bottom of the league. We're bottom, bottom of the Premier League, below Huddersfield, below Cardiff. And I think I remember asking myself, or I might, I might have even said it on the podcast after the match, if you cannot beat Brighton at home, who can you beat? Well, it turns out quite a few teams. <laughs> but um, we're going to move on, uh, and we're going to talk to Norman about the front three. And uh, why don't you kick off, Norman, with the signing of Almiron? and how that changed the season? So, first of all, I think it changed the season in the sense that we eventually broken our um, 14-year-old transfer record. You know, we, we paid whatever it was for Michael Wern back in 2000 and... Actually, it was 2004. 2005. It was 2005. Um, and at the time, I mean, you know, that, that's when we were breaking transfer records. You know, only only a few years earlier, what, nine years earlier, we'd um, broken the world record for Shearer. You know, it wasn't... It, it was quite a regular occurrence for us to spend what at the time was considered big money. And then we are taken over by Mike Ashley, the financial problems that the club are highlighted, and Mike Ashley decides that he won't spend anything more than, I think, I think possibly um, Rafa's biggest signing prior to Almiron may, may well have been Matt, Matt Ritchie. I might be wrong on, on the exact figures here, but um, Matt Ritchie and Jacob Murphy were, were quite expensive um, comparatively. But obviously, you know, Twelve million in the Premier League is 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 buttons really, um, and we say now we're on in twenty million. We were all chuffed that we brought in the record, but even then you look at twenty million. I mean, Bournemouth Bournemouth got and paid twenty million for Dominic Solanke, who barely even plays. Um, but what it did was it it lifted us. It it just gave us a I don't know a, a sense of a sense of movement forward, if you like. Um, we haven't broken our transfer rate since two thousand five. We've done it now. It's a little. It felt like a little step forward, and I think there was a huge psychological boost because of it. <clears throat> and then, obviously, 
we see his debut against Wolves, he comes on as a sub, and we concede that um, equaliser in injury time of injury time. Um, but Almiron really impresses straight away. He's direct running. He's a, he's ability on the ball. He's he's desire and he's hunger to have the ball. And we all go to his home debut against Huddersfield. And to be frank, <clears throat> he's just fantastic. And it's obviously the first time that we see Perez, Almiron and Rondon together. So he has a little stat for you. Um, Perez, Almiron and Rondon. Nine starts together before um, before Almiron gets injured against Southampton. Five wins. In that period, Ayuzia Perez gets seven goals in nine games. Seven and nine. Rondon gets three and nine, which is more or less, you know, what he's average. One in every three games. That's a that's a kind of striker Rondon is. He's a one he's a one and three game man. Um the points that we get, as I mentioned before, with the Almiron Perez Rondon front three, sixteen from ten. The points <clears throat> that we get from the first ten games of the season are three. I mean, his importance to the side, the impact that he's had, regardless of the the kind of mouthy people on, on social media. Well, he hasn't even had an assist. He hasn't even scored a goal. It's not a reflection of the reality. The reality is that he improved that side. He improved the confidence and self-belief in people like Ayose Perez. <clears throat> even Rondon, to a certain extent, who I don't think suffers from um, lack of confidence ever. Um, I think he, he boosted them hugely. And immediately there was this, this natural understanding between these players. Um, they just knew each other because what they are is they're intelligent. And obviously it helps that they all speak the same language as well. Um, but they're intelligent, good footballers. And Amiron was the catalyst for the the form that Ayose Perez has shown, the form that Salomon Rondon shown the last third of the season. Um, his, his importance to the side, I don't think it can, be, um, it can be understated at all. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing him ready for the new season. And I really hope that Ayose Perez stays. And I hope we get Rondon because I think those three, plus a couple of, a couple of additions as competition for them, could really see us um, score more than the forty-two goals we uh, we got last season. Grease Greaseman's <laughs> available, isn't he? So Zaha um, wants to move as well, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. spot on, and, and we could probably do and we will do stuff over the summer because we're, we're going right into this on Patreon podcasts about the squad and and you know how suitable it is for next season and what we need. But that front three will give every anyone a game, apart from Arsenal, where we played really badly. But like. Apart from that game, you know, that front three it really caused problems for teams. And, you know, Ron, uh, Rondon and Perez have really come on. And the, whatever, whatever you think about our tactics, or you think Rafa's negative, or you think he's fine, one thing which we really lacked this season before me, Ron, was pace. And that's your Christian Atsu. Christian Atsu was like being continually brought on in the first half of the season. People kept saying, why is he bringing on Atsu? And it's, I think Rafa realised that. Unless he gets some pace in this side, hence beating Manchester City, Christian Atsu was one of the best players against Man United at home as well. Um, like, like you know, you are you you can't you can't be pedestrian in the Premier League. Look at Cardiff. I mean, they've had they've had their Murphy brother, but unless you have searing pace in the Premier League when you're down at the bottom, you, you're not going to lay a glove. And it, think back to earlier in the season, a real tough days. I mean, I'm talking like Palace away, Southampton away, Leicester at home, even Brighton at home to an extent, although they had a lot of chances were just so easy but, to defend against. Uh, actually, Alex, can I just, I'll, I'd like you to just add to that if, if possible. Um, so, <clears throat> we, all, we, all, we all know about Perez's, um, Perez's form in the latter stage of the season. Those first 10 games that Perez plays where he, where he subbed six times, he's dropped once, you know. Um, he, he made nine, those nine starts, uh, those, sorry, those starts that he made, he played up front, right, in that, that, those, you know, that tiny amount of games with either Hosselu, Rondon, Muto or Jacob Murphy. Ten games, zero goals. Um, 
you also factor in the fact that uh, Rafa wanted Almiron in the summer, and this goes back to what I was saying before. You get a fully fit run done, Miguel Almiron and Perez in at the start of the season. Look at those games you had, Palace away, Southampton away, Cardiff away. I would even argue Arsenal and Leicester at home, definitely Brighton at home. You could be looking at seven or eight more points there. You really could, and that puts a whole new perspective on the season because if we start the season with 10 to 12 points from those first 10 games, then then who knows? And that, that's the exciting thing, isn't it? Ben, do you want to say I was going to say Champions League, here we come. <laughs> well, that, that brings me on to the, the last part of the podcast. So I wanted to speak to Rob. You know, do you think that we're, I mean, ignore, assume the manager's staying. Do you think that we are in better shape going into next season now than we were at this point last season going into this season? <laughs> and why? Uh, I, I would say yes, because despite the fact that we've finished three places below where we finished last season, I think um, the really comes down to two things. I think the front three that we've got, as in now, as in Perez, Almiron and Rondon, I think is superior to what we had at the at the end of last season. If you look back to when we Chelsea Hill, I know obviously Gale scored that day, but um they're a big advocate of <laughs> Dwight Goal. Um however, I think in terms of Premier League, Rondon is is, is um more suited style um and i think also you've got to look at weirdly this like we've covered already the, the formation change i think whatever you want to call it five four one three five two whatever you want to call it um i think that's really worked for us and you know raf has come to the conclusion to play that formation and it's 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 <laughs> talked about it numerous times on the podcast throughout the season just because we're playing three center backs Backs doesn't mean we're a defensive team. We 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 have looked so good attacking wise in that formation. Um, and almost well, you can fully understand why Rafa stuck with it. And it's become his preferred formation with the current proper players that we've got. Um, obviously he's he's come to probably that conclusion by the fact that probably our strongest position is centre back. We've got we've got a lot of good centre backs. I would count. Clark in that as well, which I wouldn't have probably last season if I'm honest. But I think he has shown glimpses of you know, a sound Premier League player this season. Um, just I, th- I think it, you know, just a couple of a couple of reasonable additions to the squad. You know, all all the listeners on you know no no Newcastle fans are daft. We all understand this. No, Raf is not asking to spend. He said it himself. It it won't take a massive amount to. Big difference to this. It's a little bit of investment in the playing squad. We'll see us challenging top seven, I would suggest. Top eight at least. So um personally I, I yeah, I, I think we I think we are a better side than than we were that we finished with the last season. And um you know, keeping Rondon's key, obviously Rafa is key. It, and it's a huge summer ahead. It's, it almost feels like a crossroads two ways we can either progress with Rafa or we can get in somebody who's definitely going to be a worse manager than Rafa and carry on without investment fortunately we're only looking downward yeah can't disagree with any of that well said really quickly lads to to, to finish this one up um, player of the season Norman first 
Um, I, I would say Fabian Shea, just um, because not only do I think it's unexpected how fantastically well he, he became by the end of it, I think, you know, he, he start. <clears throat> I think we've all perhaps thought, oh, maybe maybe this kid's not cut out for it. Um, but uh, he's just he's just been brilliant. Four goals as well. I mean, we've got a we've got a centre half who can actually score goals, and that's re- that's really important. Um, I definitely share for me. Nice of you. Uh, Name mentioned Kieran Clark there as well at the end. Classy Norman. Um, ben. So many potentials. I'm <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to go with Matt Ritchie. Matt Ritchie, yeah. I think I've I've always stuck up for him, even when there was doubt as earlier in the season, Dodzy. Um. Because he was played with really like the rest <laughs> of the team. He was class. Now I just think he's he's embodied everything, um, the fighting spirit of this team, and um, his adaptability. He's squeezed into a position that's not he's not what where he's not used to, um, and has still been key in um, a lot of the good that's that's come of this team. Um, there's some more obvious sort of names, but I I think um, Richie's played in every game this season. He's been the one of the, the one mainstay other than Dubravka. Uh, he's played in every game, and I think um, he's he's been at the forefront of of that turn in in form. Rob, yeah, for me it is our number nine, Salman Rondon. Um We haven't done this deliberately. We have all chosen different players. <laughs> well, we haven't come to Alex yet, but uh, for me it is Rondon um, p- purely because I think without him this season would have struggled. Goals are nearer to bottom three than we're, what we've seen us finish. So, yeah, Solomon Ronan for me has to be signed. I think they're all reasonable suggestions, and I don't think you can look past Chrissy Natsu. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking, as much as I love the little lad. Um, uh, slash want him replaced by much better, obviously. I'll go for, we'll not do this on purpose. I'll go for, and I was always going to go for, Ayose Perez. Um, yeah, really close one with with Rondon, and, and I think Rondon's contribution, like you say, Rob, is like you know massive. But just in terms of the joy Perez has given, like Southampton at home was a really really good day. Like it was a belting day. Um, you look at the you know his contribution in the second half of the season again. Everton at home, massive. Do you know what I mean? It's just like he he just seems to be a giver of joy, and I'll. I'll get and I'll give him I'll give it to Perez because he just gets so much shit and got so much shit and the one thing that's probably tipped over Rondon is he scored that goal against Watford and if we hadn't beaten Watford that day I'd be really concerned like I'd have been really concerned about our ability to turn around we would have been fine because like Norman correctly said earlier thirty four points keeps you up because Cardiff goal Cardiff goal difference is so bad um, but yeah Perez for me because I think that if we can keep the manager and we keep these lads together I think Perez is capable of playing for Spain and getting up towards that 15 20 goal mark say, really I think he could he's, if in a better team so and I include Newcastle with a bit of investment um, he could be a 20, 20 goal striker because you, you talk about Norman we mentioned there these first 10 games with who he's playing with and, and the type of team and the form that we're in um, he basically minus 10, 10 opportunities from from his final um, total, and you think as as we develop and become a um, better side, and that are going to take games. To, I mean, remember this is a team, so he scored, he's got it double figures again with a team that doesn't play with the ball, that does their best stuff without the ball. How the hell is he getting that many goals like in that team? It's it's ludicrous. Well, absolutely, I'll, I'll add to that as well. I think um, any anyone who doubts. How good of a footballer Perez is, 
there was doubts may um, disappear when they see the next side that he signs for because there's every chance that this summer I'm, th- I'm thinking teams like Arsenal, Emery wants, you know, he wants good value players in to supplement his squad. Um, Pochettino at Spurs, if he stays, doesn't have loads of money. He's got to be very careful with it. Um, Simeone and Atletico Madrid as well. That's... They're losing Griezmann. Perez is an absolute ideal replacement in the sense that Simeone will bring him back to Spain. He'll get him for a good amount of money and he'll do a good job. So, uh, you know, you look at how good Perez is will be indicated, I think, to anyone who doubts him by the next side that he signs for, unfortunately. I completely agree, Norman. I mean, Atletico is the one I, I could see him fitting right in because he's he's a Simeone type of player. He's a grafter, puts a hell of a lot of work in, will will work for the team and is a... Is a complete team player and he, he just he seems like the perfect Simeone player so as, oh, as you say well, bollocks to that because he's still <laughs> there. Uh, he's not allowed to leave your first. Um, and uh, uh, you're, you're spot on there with what you're saying and yeah I mean the old uh, ears hands in the ears celebration <laughs> uh, fingers even and uh, you know he should he should he needs to like Building it next season and just have like earmuffs <laughs> or headphones, old school headphones, just something. Block that, block those booze out, Iose. Okay, we asked the listeners uh, at very short notice to produce a player of the season, and they've gone with Rob's choice of Big Solomon Rondon. 52% of the vote, Shaw got um, 36, Hayden 9, because they're only three I gave. Um, I'm guessing all the rest was for Matt Ritchie then. Someone did. Was that Ben Wade? Christian has it. Quickly, lads, who who do you think the listeners awarded their player of the season to last year? Last season. Oh, that's a tough question. I would say Diarmi. I would go for Dubravka. John Joe Shelby. It was by an absolute 67% landslide, Jamal Asalas. Wow. Wow. So that tells you how much his stock yeah. has dropped. I mean, this time last year, people were up in arms that he wasn't in the, uh, yeah, the World Cup squad. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Southgate so lost his number. A, yeah, he's had a tough season slash been eclipsed by the two lads playing either side yeah. of him. Well, that's a, I don't think he's had a bad season. He's just, that, you're right, it's just the... the, the I think his work goes more unnoticed because it's that sort of silent, sort of like, rafting defensive work, isn't it? He was, he was this season's Rondon. We didn't yeah. win without him. Okay, this has been the True Faith podcast. End of season review. We've got a few more free podcasts coming for you over the next couple of weeks. We did a live event in London with George Colgan and Luke Edwards. Um, there's a there's a podcast coming and recording of that. Uh, there's a few other things we've got to put out, but for the rest of the summer, it'll be Patreon only until the start of next season. So please do consider coming across if you want any Cast United fix over the summer. Uh, while you're around the pool, on the plane, or just staying in the, the England, <laughs> doing your normal job and you listen to podcasts. Just, yeah. just um, or in prison. Or, or in prison. I don't know whether the, the prison system allows um, podcast downloads. I don't, I don't know what the Wi-Fi is like in prison. Maybe we should try and get back on uh, Radio Newcastle for the, uh, the people in hospitals. Radio Newcastle? You mean Radio Times? Whatever it was, I can't Anyway, remember. blast from the past. Uh, this has been the True Faith Podcast. My thanks to Ben, Rob and Norman. Uh, speak to you all very soon when we have news of the manager. Stay in, hopefully. Cheers. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.